Hello, and welcome back to the Electronic Intifada live stream for Monday, December 11th, a day of global strike for Palestine. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman with my colleagues Asa Wynn-Stanley, John Elmer, Tamara Nassar, and Ali Abunima. We're taking this episode to mourn, to grieve, and to celebrate the life of our dear friend, Dr. Rifat Alarir. Thank you all for joining us. Um, I know that people got to meet Rifat perhaps for the first time during our live streams over the past two months of this relentless slaughter in Gaza. And there are others who have known Rifat for decades and will be joined on the show today by many of his friends and students around the world who have had the exquisite joy of knowing and being known by Rifat. We'll also have some videos recorded by some of his former students in Gaza who sent them to us and who cannot join us live today because of the lack of internet connection as Israel continues to try and cut Gaza off from the world. For those who knew and loved Rafat and his work, we wanted to present today's episode as a virtual azza, a condolence visit, where people can come and express to Rafat's family and community how much he meant to them and to carry on his work and love for his people and this world. And we'll be able to send this episode to his family so they can accept these condolences. I kept thinking over the last four days that Rafat would want us to be angry at his death, but wouldn't want us to despair. He wouldn't have wanted Israel to steal our time that way. He told us, he told you, Ali, on one of our live streams that we haven't given in to barbarity and that we won't let them make us give in to despair and defeatism, we refuse. And that is what the enemy feared in Rifat and what it fears in every Palestinian, in all of us, the most. Rifat epitomized dignity and courage and bravery, everything that the enemy who stole his life will never have the privilege of experiencing. I miss him. I miss joking with him. I miss seeing that glint in his eye and his smile. And I'm angry. I'm angry for his wife and his kids and for the thousands of students who won't get to sit in a classroom with him and for the papers and the essays and the poems that he won't write. And yet I know and we know that the seeds he planted are growing into a vast forest all around the world, that he is immortal he is with us, he is inside each expo marker and each blackboard and each kite that will ever fly over Gaza in the liberated Palestine. Ali, um, I wanna turn it over to you for your opening remarks. Thanks, Nora. On our program last Thursday, I mentioned that we hadn't heard from Rifat and some of our other friends in Gaza for several days. I told you, as I reassured myself, that this was most likely due to the failing electricity and connectivity between Gaza and the world. We'd had these silences before, sometimes for days, and I felt sure that before long, Rifat's name would pop up in my notifications with his typical phrase, we are fine, or one of his notorious jokes. Instead, moments after we ended the live stream, I received a message from a mutual friend, Ali, Rifat is dead. Like everyone who heard these words, I refused to believe them, and part of me still doesn't. I'm still somehow waiting for a response to my last message. Rifat, any news? What we know that is that on Wednesday, Rifat was at the home of his sister in the Al-Sidra neighborhood of Gaza City. 
At about 6 p.m., a missile was fired at the building, killing Rifat, his brother Salah, and Salah's son Muhammad, and Rifat's sister Asma, and three of her children, Ala, Yahya, and Muhammad. The airstrike surgically targeted the apartment on the second floor and not the entire building, indicating the apartment was the target, according to the human rights group Euromed. Rifat was 44 years old. A close friend of Rifat told Euromed that days before he was murdered, Rifat had received an anonymous call from someone who identified himself as an Israeli officer and threatened Rifat that they knew precisely which school he was sheltering in and that advancing Israeli forces would soon reach his location. That call prompted Rifat to move to his sister's apartment, thinking it was less conspicuous than the overcrowded school. I'm certain, too, that Rifat left the school because he did not want to endanger other people by being there. Yesterday, I was able to reach Rifat's wife, Nuseiba, on the phone at a shelter in Gaza to convey our condolences to her and their children, Shayma, Omar, Ahmed, Lina, and Amal. I told her how much Rifat meant to us and asked if she had seen any of the many tributes to Rifat. Did she know that people around the world are raising Rifat's picture and reading and translating his words? We don't know anything, she said. We have no internet, no connection, just the telephone. She said Rifat used to travel long distances to try to find internet so he could connect with the world and continue his work. So part of the reason, as Nora said, that we pay tribute to Rifat today is so that his family will one day soon, in better days, be able to see for themselves how much Rifat meant to the world. Those of you who've watched Rifat's appearances on these live streams and have read his articles for the Electronic Intifada in the last two months know that he and his family had already been displaced several times after Israel bombed their home in late October. Despite having to care for his own family, Rifat never stopped helping others, carrying water and doing other tasks in the shelters. He never complained about discomfort despite the appalling and dangerous conditions, the most appalling conditions humans can face. Anytime I asked him how he was, he would eventually text back, we are fine. Over these last two horrifying months, Rifat comforted me much more than I could comfort him. And I know that's true for many of us. I treasure the memories of the time I spent with Rifat in person in Washington, Philadelphia, Chicago, and California when he came to the United States in 2014 with Yusuf al-Jamal and Rawan Yahi to speak about Gaza Writes Back, a collection of short stories by young writers edited by Rifat and published by Just World Books. One Cold Night in Chicago became a legend. The night Rifat tasted deep dish pizza at Giordano's in Hyde Park near the University of Chicago. That night is still etched in my mind, heart, and stomach, Rifat wrote to me on October 31st. Rifat spent his last few days walking the streets of his beloved Gaza City alongside his friend Asim and Nabih, who has known Rifat since childhood. Asim, who works for the Gaza municipality, said Rifat tried to help anyone he could, directing those looking for a place to go towards neighborhoods where he thought they could find 
a little more safety. And while doing all this, Rifat continued to write, continued to support his students, and continued to do his life's work. Asim said of Rifat, he could have lived and worked anywhere in the world and lived the best life, but he refused. Indeed, after his studies in Britain and Malaysia, Rifat insisted on returning to Gaza and building a future there, not just for himself, but for his country. Rifat was the proud son of a laborer in Gaza City's Shuja'iyah district and a professor of English at IUG, the Islamic University of Gaza. He was a co-founder of We Are Not Numbers, a project launched in Gaza after Israel's 2014 attack to mentor and support young writers in the besieged territory to tell their stories to the world. It is through We Are Not Numbers and Rifat's work that the Electronic Intifada has been introduced to many of its finest writers in and from Gaza, some of whom you will meet today. Like so many Palestinians, Rifat's earliest memories were marred by Israeli violence. In his chapter in the recent book, Light in Gaza, published by Haymarket Books, Rifat writes about how both his father and mother were nearly killed on separate occasions by Israeli bullets and shells. As a child, he himself was shot by Israeli soldiers with rubber-coated steel bullets, and on one occasion, an Israeli soldier threw a rock at him from the roof of a building, injuring him in the head. Even before this genocide, Rifat and Nuseiba had, between them, lost dozens of relatives to Israel's decades of savagery. In 2014, Israel bombed Nuseiba's sister's home, killing her sister and husband and several of her sister's children. This horrifying toll, Rifat wrote in a May 2021 op-ed for the New York Times, made them a perfectly average Palestinian couple. Rifat's first piece for the Electronic Intifada in 2014 told the story of his martyred brother Muhammad, or Hamada, who is beloved by thousands of children in Gaza for his character Karkur, a mischievous chicken, on the TV program Tomorrow's Pioneers. Rifat's weapon was the pen and sometimes the expo marker. In 1997, as an undergraduate, he chose to major in English literature. He explains in Light in Gaza, I wanted to do more with my English skills and my experience being born and raised under Israeli occupation. I remember when I first heard the question, how many more Palestinians should be massacred for the world to care about our lives? I thought naively that repeating the question would change people, but Israel kept killing us and Israel kept destroying our lives. But Rifat was never discouraged, only more determined to use language to change minds and change the world. He learned the power of stories to comfort and move people in the most visceral way during Operation Cast Lead, Israel's barbaric bombardment of Gaza in December 2008 and January 2009. Rifat writes, I remember during the onslaught spending 23 days telling my little kids, Shayma, Omar, and Ahmed, many stories to distract them. Some were stories my mother told me as a child or variations on her stories featuring my children as the heroes and saviors every now and then. Even though bombs and missiles could, could be heard in the background, my children were transfixed, listening to my stories 
like never before. Rifat adds, during the 2008-2009 attacks on Gaza, the more bombs Israel detonated, the more stories I told. Telling stories was my way of resisting. It was all I could do. And it was then that I decided that if I lived, I would dedicate much of my life to telling the stories of Palestine, empowering Palestinian narratives, and nurturing younger voices. And that is how Rifat spent his life to the very last day inside and outside the classroom. I do not want even to dignify with a response the vicious character assassination against Rifat that Zionists have engaged in, both to incite his murder beforehand and to celebrate it in the most depraved way afterwards. I will say that those who incited against him have his blood on their hands. But I do want to affirm here that despite the savagery Israel inflicted on his own family and on his people since his earliest days, Rifat always taught that we should see the humanity in everyone, but first and foremost in those who are demonized, marginalized, and despised. As we will hear today, Rifat loved to teach Shakespeare, not merely in appreciation of Elizabethan verse, but as a tool for his students to understand the world they live in and challenge its orthodoxies. Rifat writes, Perhaps the most emotional moment in my six-year teaching career in IUG's English department was when I asked my students which character they identified with more, Othello with his Arab origins or Shylock the Jew. Most students felt they were closer to Shylock and more sympathetic to him than Othello. Only then did I realize that I had managed to help my students grow and shatter the prejudices they had grown up with because of the occupation and the siege. Everyone who knows Rifat knows that he loved his students. On November the 2nd, just a few days after his house was bombed, Rifat wrote to me how sad he felt that the thousands of books he had collected over 30 years had been destroyed. The books can be replaced, Rifat. You cannot, I responded in an effort to console him. He replied, all those pieces you publish for my students keep me going. And when Rifat's house, family's house in Shuja'iyah was destroyed by Israel in 2014, he walked through the rubble with his friend Asim. Asim remembers that Rifat picked up the burned and charred papers with the poems and stories written by his students as if he had found a valuable treasure. Rifat is now among at least 17,700 martyrs in Israel's genocide. His story is just one among millions, and no one knew that better than Rifat. One day before he was murdered by Israel, Rifat told Asim, if God lets me survive this war, I want to devote the rest of my life to telling the stories of the people here. Rifat won't be able to do that, so the task falls to us. If I must die, let it bring hope, let it be a tale. Rifat is now the fourth contributor to the Electronic Intifada, known to have been murdered by Israel since October 7th. Before him were Hud al-Susi, Ra'ad Qaddura, and Muhammad Hammo. All three were Rifat's students or mentees. Rifat's murder is part of Israel's systematic extermination of the Palestinian intelligentsia in Gaza 
including prominent doctors, researchers, and dozens of journalists. Just days before killing Rifat, Israel assassinated Dr. Sofyan Tayeh, a prominent scientist and the president of IUG. The poet and activist Ahmad Aburtema, a regular contributor to the Electronic Intifada, survived an Israeli assassination attempt in October that killed his 13-year-old son Abdullah and several other members of his family. In Light in Gaza, Rifat writes, the wounds Israel inflicted in the hearts of Palestinians are not irreparable. We have no choice but to recover, stand up again, and continue the struggle. Submitting to the occupation is a betrayal of humanity and to all the struggles around the world. Rifat embodied everything Israel hates and seeks to destroy. Knowledge, compassion, empathy, selflessness, and the determination to resist its savagery and tyranny and seek liberation no matter what the price. That is why Israel killed him. And that is why, through all of us here, Rifat and his mission will continue to live. Thank you so much, Ali. And um, before we go to our first guest, we wanted to um, show this very short reading and animation someone did on Twitter of Rifat's poem, If I Must Die, that we thought was beautiful. Let's go to that. I must die, you must live, to tell my story, to sell my things, to buy a piece of cloth and some strings. Make it white with a long tail, so that a child somewhere in Gaza, while looking heaven in the eye, awaiting his dad who left in a blaze, and bid no one farewell, not even to his flesh, not even to himself. Seize the kite, my kite you made, flying up above, and thinks for a moment an angel is there, bringing back love. If I must die, let it bring hope, let it be a tale. And uh, since the news of Rifat's murder, people have been commemorating and grieving him around the world. And that poem of his has been translated now uh, into at least 260 different languages. It's a way that, that people all over the world are keeping his words alive and universal and immortal. Uh, we wanted to show some of those translations. Again, more than 260 uh, the thread around social media has just been going and going and going, and it is just beautiful and a testament to how poignant and uh, relevant and, and yes, universal um, and immortal Rifat's words are and, and will continue to be. So um, we encourage you to go uh, mostly on Twitter, I think, but I'm sure it's on other platforms as well. And, and just, um, you know, look at these incredible translations. It's just kind of over overwhelming for sure. Um, we wanted to bring in our first guest. Uh, we're joined by Yusuf Al-Jamal. Yusuf is a Palestinian writer and close friend of Rifat, who is also uh, his student. Um, Yusuf, it's, it's really good to have you. Um, it's uh, it's it's unbearable to be talking about Rifat in the past tense. Um, thanks for being with us today. 
thank you for making the uh, memory of Rifat alive. I will never talk about Rifat in the past tense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Rifat is uh, immortal. Um, I felt so sad when I knew that uh, he's stuck under the rubble. But also, I thought maybe he will rise from under the rubble, just like the phoenix, the uh, famous bird that lived in Arabia and that was taken by the Gaza municipality as its symbol, just um, rising from um, ashes. Uh, this is how we have known Rifat. Uh, very energetic, uh, full of life, full of jokes. Um, I have known him, him since uh, 2007. This is the year he returned back to Gaza and started teaching after obtaining his uh, master's degree in comparative literature at uh, UCL. And um, that was my first year uh, in the English department. And, uh, you know, Rifat was my teacher. Uh, at the time, and he, he continues to be my guide forever. Um, he um, taught me English literature and translation. I took co two courses with him, and he was uh, very mean with grades. But he, you know, he was very tough. But if you earn a grade with Rifat, then it's well uh, deserved. Um, I learned things I, I never learned elsewhere in his class. We studied about, you know, politics, literature, language, uh, philosophy, history, um, cinema. He, he was an encyclopedia in many different ways. Um, then our friendship continued, and I'm not an exception to this. Uh, there are many um, students he taught who later became his close friends. Uh, he would invite us, you know, outside the classroom. Uh, he would always challenge us and give us homeworks just to, to make us think critically. Rifat was universal in, in his classroom. He uh, taught American, English, African, um, Irish literature. Um, and that's why he, he was also universal um, in his passing. Uh, there are a lot of people... Uh, remembering Rifat now and translating his his poem, um, I enjoyed you know uh, also uh, helping him train young people in Gaza, like providing logistics and uh, organizing <clears throat> workshops on uh, poetry, creative writing, uh, literature, feature writing. Uh, he encouraged me to write too. Um, and I wrote my first article for the Electronic Intifada, I think, in 2012, uh, the killing of my, my brother and why I have two brothers named uh, Omar. And I remember how Rifat was so happy that when uh, the article was published, he shared it on social media and he was always like praising me and encouraging me to, to, to write uh, more. Then he suggested that I turn this um, feature into a short story, which I did, and then he published this uh, story in Gaza Rights Back. We traveled the United States in 2014, Rawan and uh, Rifat and I, talking about uh, Gaza Rights Back and the power of fiction. And Rifat always believed that fiction is universal and it's uh, timeless. Like it would, it will be read 100 years later, as if it's written now. Um, that's why he, he also encouraged his students to write uh, literature. 
and he believed in, in the power of literature. Uh, he himself was a poet, as you know, he published, uh, If I Must Die, he published this uh, poem actually in 2011, and he only pinned his uh, poem to his timeline in November. Maybe he felt like uh, uh, his killing is, is uh, uh, a high possibility uh, because of Israel's genocide. Uh, he also wrote another poem um, titled I Am You. So this is, you know, Rifat was a humanist in many different ways. Uh, he even tried to speak to the psyche of his murderers, Israeli soldiers, telling them I am you. Um, and again, I, I, I feel so sad, but I also remember Rifat as the uh, greatest, uh, um, you know, owner of... Uh, all senses of humor, especially like brutal and um, uh, dark humor. Even people who do not know us would sometimes think that we have like an abusive relationship because of his jokes. I always enjoyed these jokes. Wherever he went to, he left a mark. Uh, there is a chair in our friend's house in Washington, D.C. called Rifa's chair. And remember Ali when uh, we had the pizza and he was making fun of the deep dish pizza and comparing it to the New York pizza and like the memories he leaves and creates uh, stays uh, forever. Uh, Rifat also took me um, in his own home for three weeks when I did not have a home in Malaysia. So he, not just like a teacher and a friend, but a great human being. Um, uh, you know, we traveled Malaysia, we traveled nice days together. Uh, he always thought about his students uh, inside Gaza and outside Gaza too. Um, he sent me a number of uh, articles written by his students and he was also so happy when he saw them being published. Uh, so his students were, you know, the center of his life and that's why, you know, everyone is, is sad and remembering Rifat and telling their, you know, beautiful uh, memories with, with Rifat. I remember when we were in the United States, we spoke at different, multiple places, and Rifat also managed to uh, leave uh, a very positive impact on people he met. And we've seen this actually in Philadelphia. Um, recently, there was a, a group of people who uh, organized a vigil in, in, in memory of, of Rifat, who met him in 2014. So people still remember him up until now. It's been uh, 10 years, uh, or nine years since we visited Philadelphia together. Um, he loved Gaza. He always, you know, told people that he's a son of Shuja'iyya, his uh, hometown in, in, in Gaza. And uh, I remember uh, we uh, walked over the... Uh, uh, Brooklyn Bridge, uh, Jihad, Rifat, and I. And Rifat wrote the name of his town on the bridge, Shijaiya, and he took a picture. He was always proud of his of his town, telling people everywhere that Shijaiya, as if Shijaiya is like New York, known by everyone, and he wanted Shijaiya to be known by everyone. Um, I'm very sad, and you know that. Uh, his life was cut short, but I am sure that Rifat will continue to live in the hearts of uh, thousands of people, hundreds of his students, but also millions of people around the world who are translating his poem today. 
because Rifat believed in, in the power of literature and, and writing, and he knew very well that uh, his writings uh, will live, uh, uh, you know, for a long time. And we've seen this, uh, you know, 260 languages is uh, a huge number. Maybe there is no other poem that was translated into 260 languages. Um, and this is a message to all of us that we should continue writing and defending uh, our cause as Rifat uh, wanted. Uh, Rifat uh, is the storyteller of Gaza, the father of storytelling in, in Gaza. And uh, Rifat is also an idea. He's immortal and ideas do not die. Uh, he will always be there. We will see him. We feel him watching over us and guiding us uh, every day in, in our life. Yusuf Al Jamal, thank you so much. Um, I wanted to bring on uh, two of our other friends. Uh, first, I did want to say that the animation and, and voiceover uh, of that poem that that we just showed right before you came on uh, was by uh, someone named Maya, and her handle on Twitter is Maya Amar too, um, and the song was sung by Nai. Barguti and and uh, thank you so much for, to to David Alvarez for um, giving us that information. That's really valuable. And thank you, Maya, for making that. Um, so I wanted to bring on two two more guests. Um, you uh, sorry, uh, Jihad Abu Salem, uh, Palestinian writer and former student of Rifat, and also Shaima Ziyara, a Palestinian from Gaza also a friend and former student, um, Shaima and Jihad, thank you so much for being here today. And you're both muted. Um, so uh, Shaima, uh, let's start with you. Talk talk about your your friendship uh, with Rifat and 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 how um, how you, you came to be his student. Thank you, Nora. Um, I first met Rafat back in 2008, uh, so that's over 15 years ago. Um, I was only 14 years old back then, and he was my teacher in a youth program. Um, at that time, I was a young, malleable mind, and it was an honor to have been his student and to get the privilege to have my whole worldview shaped by him. Um, he introduced us to Malcolm X. He taught us about the Black Liberation Movement and help us, helped us uh, draw comparisons with the Palestinian struggle for liberation. He taught us about Edward Said's uh, Orientalism. He encouraged us to think critically and to thoughtfully engage with literary characters we didn't necessarily agree with. Um, he taught us to see humanity in everyone. Um, Rifat is the reason I am who I am today. He didn't treat us like we were children. He never made us feel like he knows better than us. He treated us like great, capable minds, even when we were just, you know, foolish teenagers. Um, in class, he liked to inject his lessons with humor. He would tell great jokes, but also a lot of lame ones too. <laughs> he like to tease his students. Um, it was almost like a bonding exercise for him. <laughs> he loved telling us about his um, mischievous shenanigans as a young kid and as a university student. And even at that time, he would tell us about the pranks he would pull on his friends as an adult. Um, he never lost his sense of humor, even in the darkest of times that we're seeing right now. 
Rifat grew and we grew under his wings. When I went to university, he was also my professor. And I looked forward to every single class of his. We were discussing Shakespeare, performing soliloquies, uh, writing poetry. We looked up to him like a big brother, like a friend that you know will always be there for you and will give you the best advice whenever you go for him for advice. In early November, when my brother Ahmad was severely injured in an Israeli bombing, if I was texting me almost every day, whenever he gets a connection and he would ask about him. My brother and I, by the way, share the names of Rifat's eldest children, Shayma and Omar. Um, when my brother succumbed to his wounds, Rifat was devastated. He was the dynamite behind the freelance work of the youth in Gaza, Rifat said. And even in the darkest of times, when he was worried for his safety and for his family's safety, Rifat still made the time to check on me and my loved ones. In one of his interviews with um, Electronic Intifada uh, on a live stream, he was talking about how bleak and dark the situation is. And that's when he broke down crying, seeing that really broke my heart. Because Rifat, who was always smiling, always quick with the witty, snarky remarks, he was overcome with grief. But by the end of that sentence, you could hear him regain his strength and his voice getting stronger and becoming even more determined because that was Rifat, that's who he was. Like a phoenix, he would always rise up from the ashes. And today he still rises up through his legacy, through his words, his poems, his stories, and the minds that he has shaped. Just like in the poem of the Iraqi poet Ahmad Matar, Rifat is like a wheat stalk. Even when that wheat stalk is falling to the ground, he is only falling to plant more seeds. We are those seeds. And we promise to stand tall and strong and carry his legacy forward. And as Suzanne Abu Hawa said, Rifat did not die. He multiplied. Thank you so much, Shaima. Shihad, um, talk about your friendship with Rafat, please. Thank you for having us. I met Rafat in 2004. I was 16 or 17 years old then. I was in the 10th grade and I was chosen by my school in Deir el-Balah to attend a one-year English language program that was organized at Amidist, which is an American non, uh, educational nonprofit that had a, an office in Gaza City. Um, and for a year, I commuted with a number of Palestinian uh, students from Deir al-Balah, from Khan Yunus, from Rafah, from the north, from Gaza City, to Rimal, to Amidist's office, to attend this one-year program. And I remember this day walking into the classroom 
there was this young teacher with his light beard, with his expo marker, welcoming us into the classroom. He had a gentle smile, um, a very polite and loving and caring demeanor. For me personally, as someone who has been going to public school for a few years, that was a change of scenery and a change of culture. <laughs> um, and from day one, my colleagues and I realized how fortunate we were and how fortunate we are about to become, recognizing the impact Rifat will have on us. We did not fully comprehend what kind of role Rifat will play in our lives. I wasn't sure about him. He was, he did care about his students and at the same time he roasted them, sometimes with his mean jokes <laughs> um, and with his dark humor. He also wasn't sure about me, but we, we became friends and one day he honored me by allowing me to add him on MSN Messenger. And it was a big deal for me. I, I thought I was the coolest kid in that program to be able to chat, uh, you know, to have like an instant messages with Rifat uh, on, a, on a daily basis. We learned so much from him. He, when I wrote on Twitter the other day about how Rifat used the English language as a, as a tool for liberation and defiance and as a, as a way to challenge Israel's siege on Gaza, that wasn't an exaggeration. You have to consider Gaza in 2004, 2005. This is the, the time when I met Rifat and I got to know him. Isolation wasn't just an, like an abstract thing. It was an actual feeling that then would become worse and worse with, with the imposition of the blockade in 2007. So to have someone like Rifat who would tell you about the giants of literature, but also who would teach you about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and the difference between them and introduce you to the civil rights movement and to, uh, you know, Desmond Tutu and talk to you about issues and, and matters that were happening and things that were important beyond the confines of Gaza's blockade. For us, that was a big deal. And he blew our minds many, many times with the kind of knowledge he would impart on us as his students. And Rifat saw and I talked about this and I 
will keep repeating it. He saw in English as a language um, and as something that you embrace as part of your daily life. He saw it as a tool of empowerment, especially for young Palestinian students who come from impoverished backgrounds in, in the Gaza Strip. He, you know, when, when people learn and speak English in many parts of the Arab world, they do so as a way of detaching themselves from the larger society. Uh, it's part of, you know, uh, a conscious or subconscious effort to become, you know, westernized in, in, in your own country, in your own society, to detach yourself from the people around you, to embrace Western brands, to uh, connect to Western popular culture. It has a classist dimension, this practice. But for Refract, it was the opposite. He taught English and encouraged people to learn it so that they can break free from the constraints that Israel has imposed on us as victims of its blockade and occupation and de-development and impoverishment. English becomes a tool to connect with other struggles, to learn about them, to understand the, the, the heroes and the giants and the, and the ideas of these struggles and of these uh, uh, cases for liberation that are taking place around the world. So Rifat was free. He was free despite that he lived under occupation and despite all the pain that Israel has inflicted on him and his family. And Rifat freed us. We weren't, you know, we were young teenagers and, and you know, like uh, uh, people who are in, in their college age. Some followed Rifat, uh, Rifat's uh, path. Others, you know, sometimes weren't sure what to do with, with the knowledge that he gave them. But I can tell you, Rifat freed all of us. He freed all of us and he gave us a way to... Uh, to connect with the, with, the, with the outside world, to learn more about our, ourselves and to understand our experience better. Because when you grow up in Gaza under blockade, you grow better, you grow, you know, sometimes it could take you to very dark places in terms of questioning why is this all pain inflicted on us? Is there something wrong with us? So Rifat comes and he tells you about the, the black struggle in America. He tells you about South Africa. He tells you about this issue and or that issue. And you you begin to understand that no, this is this is about injustice and this is about again the the the, the universal connections that Yusuf talks about and, and Shayma also referred to. So uh, you know there's so much to say about Rifat Larif and there will be plenty of time to honor his memory. And I think, you know, Rifat, again, like Yusuf said, he's not someone who we should talk about in the past tense. Um, Rifat, however, entrusted me with a huge burden when I reached out to him to contribute to Light in Gaza, Writings Born of Fire, um, the book that you can see behind Ali. He, he told me, and I, I would like to quote him, if I may. Um, he told me, you know, that he's really tired 
of how unheard Palestinians are. So he wrote, when I was approached to write for this book, the promise was that it will affect change and that policies, especially in the United States, will be improved. But honestly, will they? Does a single Palestinian life matter? Does it? And then he wrote, it shall pass, I keep hoping. It shall pass, I keep saying. Sometimes I mean it, sometimes I don't. And as Gaza keeps gasping for life, we struggle for it to pass. We have no choice but to fight back and to tell her stories for Palestine. But I would like to end with this. Telling the story is a burden on the victim and a burden on the oppressed. But us telling our stories, as Rifat told us, isn't enough. There has to be people on the other side of the storytelling who listen and who take action. So listen to Rifat, heed his words, let it be a tale, and let it be a big fight for our liberation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jihad. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Um, before we go to uh, two more friends of Rifat, we wanted to um, talk about Rifat as first and foremost an educator. He loved the classroom. And we have a clip of him doing what he loved to do the most, teaching in a classroom in Gaza. The following clip is a part of a series of lectures that Rafat uh, had posted on his YouTube channel. Let's go to that. Personally, every time I teach a course, any course actually, I have one major goal in mind. I claim that I want to change my students' lives, hopefully to the better. Because I do believe, and this is, for many people, this is literature. What is literature going to change about me or in me or for me or around me? It doesn't put, put probably food on table. It doesn't, I don't know, make me rich. Although it does most of the time if you are a successful writer, especially if you are a novelist. So I say the first thing in, in, in my course is that poetry is about making us better human beings. Poetry is about improving the way we look at things, the way we deal with others, the way we deal with life, with difficulties, the way we deal with ourselves, the way we, we treat ourselves, the way we think about things. And probably, I, I, I usually mention this, how poetry is self-expression, and you said this already before, how poetry is self-expression. There's something you feel that the urge to get it out whether you want to communicate or not, whether you want people to react to your self-expression or not. Poetry, literature is an act, a very significant act of self-expression. I don't want to exaggerate, but could be as important as the need to eat sometimes. I'm so grateful that we still have his voice. Um, we are now joined by Noor Nemer a Palestinian translator, a student of Rifat, and Ahmed Nihad, also a student of Rifat. Uh, Ahmed and Noor, thank you so much for being here. Um, Ahmed, uh, yeah, please go ahead. Um, <clears throat> how are you doing? Uh, 
Thank you. Uh, I'm, I guess nothing, as Jihad said, nothing is enough to say about Dr. Rifat. Our friend Dr. Sarah Ali says, everyone who talks about Rifat cannot but in a way talk about himself. And yes, uh, Rifat shaped us all and made us the people we are now. Uh, one thing I didn't know, um, I always ask myself where uh, Dr. Rifat uh, brings and um, where he uh, gets all this energy and strength to talk and write all the time about Palestine, about Gaza. Um, I have spent most of my days with him as a friend and colleague, but actually as his mentee all the time. And um, I shared the details of his life, um, of his meals, of his jokes, of watching football together, or um, um, I don't know, bullying each other. And um, the more you get to know him, the more you respect this man. Um, but still, <clears throat> one thing, one question I've never been able to answer is how does Dr. Rifat find all this energy and hope uh, to, to talk, to write, um, to put in so much effort and make such an impact? Uh, what I want to say to Omar, to Ahmed Yassin, to Shayma, to Sara, to Amal, to Lina, to Omar, is that uh, they should know they have thousands and thousands of friends and siblings uh, in Gaza and around the world. I know nothing, nothing can replace Rifat, a giant who can do and excel in 20 tasks at the same time, better than 20 people and more can do one task. I keep saying this. I guess this is one thing that um, can, I don't know, sum up Dr. Rifat. I, one of the, the first memories I have of him, because I, 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 I knew him since I was like 12, but one thing I, I, one memory I always have is, um, attending, um, um, a seminar, uh, for uh, his friend, uh, Dr. Mahmoud Hirthani in, in Gaza, and he was there to report the seminar. And um, I was um, sitting, uh, 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 and he, he was in front of me, and I could see his MacBook. I could see him um, and, and everything he, he did. And I couldn't but see how in the same time, he's listening to what Dr. Mahmoud is saying, being active and like uh, um, participating in the discussions, and at the same time reporting um, what's happening in the in the seminar, and then at the same time tweeting uh, on his multiple uh, um, uh, uh, Twitter accounts, and at the same time following the news and uh, checking and editing texts and texting um, other people and. Um, I don't know, um, making sure that everybody has a seat and making sure that everybody has their um, bottle of juice and at the same time 
um, again, being attentive and like making uh, important points about what's going on. So I know nothing and no one can ever replace him or um, even all of us together. But I want uh, his, uh, uh, his sons and daughters and wife and I want them all to know that we are here to try with whatever energy and life we have to continue his journey, his project in every possible way. And I want to say to us, to his friends, mentees and students that we have a lot to do. Dr. Rifat left us until his last moment with many ideas, projects, texts, stories, films and poems to complete. We owe it to him and to his Palestine that he loves to his continue to continue his path. I have nothing to say but to testify um, that Dr. Rifat is one of those who suffered in many ways. The more you know him, the more you know Dr. Rifat and his life and the details of everything that uh, he went through, the more you know how much uh, he suffered and how much he had um, uh, in his plate to do family-wise, uh, community-wise, um, university-wise, everywhere. Um, and he reached stages of despair and worry, just like many of us, many times. But I'm always amazed at how he could always come back stronger each time, with more productivity, with more texts, with more poetry, with more um, helping uh, other people and reaching um, um, different uh, um, platforms to talk and write about Palestine. And I know the path is full of these contradictions between hopelessness and hope. And I know he went through those contradictions all the time. But as he taught us, as he still teaches us, that we have no, we have nothing else. We have no other way but to continue to, to talk about um, Palestine, to write about uh, about Palestine, about Gaza in every possible way and just like him unapologetically and as strongly as as possible uh, i saw Omar put his whole heart into every story and article he wrote or edited with his mentees he gave everything he had uh to to his students to his mentees i had the privilege to work Beside him, I had the privilege at the first place to um, uh, to be coached and taught uh, by him. And and then I had the privilege, thanks to him, uh, to be his co-mentor and to be beside him. And I, was I, I, I always thought I did a good job uh, being a mentor, taking care of students and uh, helping them in every way possible. I, I, I always thought I cared. But then I look just next to me to to him and the way he he talks to students uh, and mentees, and then the conversations we'd have afterwards uh, in his car because he'd never leave me um, uh, walk back 
to my office alone, even though my office is like um, very close, but he'd always like take me with his car. And like, we talk about the day and about the students and he'd still shout and be angry or be enthusiastic or like, he'd always talk about students and their works and like how amazed he is. Uh, with the brilliance of them or how disappointed he is that they lost this chance or this opportunity. And he'd always be like, I know um, this person or this um, mentee have, uh, has a lot of potential and I wish they could uh, live up to this potential and do everything uh, they can. He cared. And I remember always like having this argument with him, asking him, begging him to not care that much because like, even me as a student and many of us, um, we sometimes, or most of the time, we were afraid a little bit of him because like, um, we know we'd do, a, we'd make a double space or deed of space before the coma, or um, we'd forget something important, or uh, we would, um, for example, not know about Malcolm X or about any um, important uh, uh, activist and, he would like be really angry, not because he's angry, but more because he cared, more because he wanted us to be the best versions of ourselves. And as everybody um, said, as you had said, and like everybody, whenever we talk about uh, Dr. Rifat, he always believed in us more than we believed in, uh, uh, in ourselves. And he always saw in us um, the potential uh, we had. Sometimes he implanted this this potential. He poured all his heart into making us um, better people in a way or another. And this uh, this this thing he said in in the clip you just shared about him having uh, his aim as a teacher to change his students' lives. I don't remember a class he gave to me or I gave with him for the past six years without him starting with this. It was his true aim and I saw with my own eyes and myself as an example and in hundreds of other people I saw myself and thousands others I learned about how he actually changed our lives um, for the better. Um, not only as people, not only the way we think, but also he, 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 he changed us um, in also in tangible ways. Um, lots of us had their first jobs or their first important jobs thanks to him um, because he always recommended us to, to people. He always helped us uh, get their, those jobs and then he always helped us do them the best ways, um, the best ways we can. Um, <clears throat> um, again, As I said, he gave us all his heart. And I know that uh, we owe it to him um, to, to carry this heart, to carry all this that he taught us, that he still teaches us, um, to continue his path, to continue writing, talking, resisting um, the occupation. And uh, with, um, I know, again, we have lots and lots to do, and I know we are all determined to continue this path, to continue all the unfinished projects, all the unfinished uh, texts and ideas. 
um, that he gave us um, with all the energy and all the life uh, we have, all the energy and all the life he gives us forever. Uh, the son of Shijaiya, uh, Dr. Rifat, Rafiq Larair, in our hearts, voices, words, and resistance, the words of free Palestine. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ahmed. Thank you. Noor Nemer. Uh, hi, everyone. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts and memories of Dr. Rifat. And thank you, Ali and Noura, and everybody for arranging this beautiful, meaningful live stream. I had the privilege of being Dr. Rafat's student in five courses, one of which is a literary translation course. He taught me literary translation in the most beautiful way I can ask for, and he believed in me. He praised the first poem I've ever translated and encouraged me to translate more and more. And now I'm, I am a translator, thanks to him. Dr. Rifat has always put our interests first. I remember working on a research paper last summer with my friends Alia and Dunya. And we used to frequently go to his office and ask him plenty of questions. And despite his busy schedule, he would pause his work to listen to our questions. And he even rewarded us with bonus marks for doing so. And I guess we all know how rare and precious his bonus marks are. And um, in that same summer, my friends and I were planning to create a fan page to, to gather all the memes and the stickers we made or he made on him, on Shakespeare, on us. But we never did that page. I think when this war ends, we will create it as a small tribute to the joy and laughter he brought into our lives. Now, uh, many students speak of how he pushed us to grow and to step out of our comfort zones. But what astonished me was his gentleness in doing so. I mean, um, I remember in my early college days, I was shy and sensitive. So um, when I get distracted in the class, he would seamlessly incorporate my name into examples to bring me back into focus and to keep me interacting. It was a subtle yet impactful way of encouraging me to engage in the lecture. Dr. Rifat has always felt a responsibility for every person he knew. During the war, he posted in our uh, poetry course group to check on us. And he told us that he feels embarrassed for not knowing how to help us while he himself was facing the same hard situation. And he also offered phone balance to anyone in need. Uh, as most of Dr. Rafat's students, I have many, many memories with him, but the one I will always remember him through is not the most significant one, but the latest one. Just one week before his martyrdom, I sent him my translation of his poem named The Drenched to ask him if the translation is good enough to be shared. He read it and he told me it's excellent. And I was so happy because Dr. Rifat is the kind of person who always encourages you, yes, but he doesn't praise your work that easily. 
and he told me to post it on Twitter so he can repost it. And it was the first time Dr. Rifat shares on his personal account something I translated. And because I've always looked up to him, it really meant so much to me. And finally, I want to say that um, meeting Dr. Rifat was a turning point in my life. But his assassination, as painful as it is, marks an even greater turning point. He was a blessing I'll forever cherish. And I believe his legacy will continue to inspire us all, always and forever. Thank you. Thank you so much, Noor. That was beautiful. Um, we're going to bring on some more friends, colleagues, and, and students of Rifat's in just a minute. Um, but some students were not able to join because, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, the unreliable connection in Gaza. Here's a clip that was sent to us by Iman El-Hajj Ali. She's a journalist and translator based in Gaza. Israel has killed Dr. Rifat Al-Arir, but he's still alive within us. Hi, everyone. This is Iman El-Hajj Ali, a Gazan-based journalist, translator, and writer. Dr. Rifat was my professor at the Islamic University of Gaza. Yet he was more than that. He was like a father for everyone he dealt with. He was like a father for everyone he taught. I still remember our days at the university when he taught us many courses. Indeed, these courses are one of the most gorgeous courses that affected and shaped my personality. One of these courses is um, the world literature. I still remember how much he loved literature and how was that like uh, a part of his personality. And that's greatly reflected upon us due to the great amount of information that he gave us. Indeed, I loved literature due to the way he explained it for us. Now, the English department has a great loss. Not only the English department, but all of Gaza, all of Palestine lost a great literature man. And we will never ever find such a great person like him. He taught me poetry. And now I'm writing great poems because of him. And I wish that he's still alive to show him these poems. He taught us Shakespeare, and I still remember how much he loved that great play writer. To the extent that we never we were seeing him, we were talking between each other that Shakespeare has come. I still remember one of his lectures when he acted in front of us one of Shakespeare's um, Hamlet soliloquies and he told us that this part is one of his favorite parts about how, how great the creation of the human is. And I want to say this for you, that how great you wear, you wear is. What great, what, what a piece of, what I can't. I'm speechless. I'm speechless indeed. Well, I want to say that what a piece of work Dr. Rifat is. How noble a reason. How infinite in faculty. In form, in moving, how expressed and admirable. In action, how like an angel. I still remember your sessions when you coached me about creative writing and how you, how you were telling us all the time to fight with our pens. 
to use our words, even if they are the, the smallest thing that we can do to defend the Palestinian cause, to reveal the harsh reality about the, the cruel actions that are taken against us because of Israel. And you are, not, you are now killed because you were not fearful, because you are not fearful of defending the Palestinian cause. You were not fearful of revealing the barbaric actions committed by Israel against us. But you are not killed. You are still alive within us. And we will take your footsteps to defend the Palestinian cause. As you told us in your poem, if I must die, you must live to tell my story. And I promise you, we will live to tell your story and we will write more and more. Israel now tries to kill the intellectuals and educated people like Dr. Rifat al arir they try, they try to rip the, the tree of knowledge from its foundations, but they will not let us down. We will resist. We, are, we will write more and more. We will write volumes. We will write books to defend the Palestinian cause and to, to, to reveal the harsh reality that we are suffering from because of the cruel um, so-called Israel and its brutal actions against us. Thank you. It's beautiful from Iman. Thank you so much, Iman. Um, we're now joined by Malik Zakut, writer and translator, um, and also Khalid Al-Hissi, journalist from Jabalia in the Gaza Strip. Uh, Malik, let's start with you. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. Thank you. All right, thank you for having me. Um, but before I go, uh, just a quick comment on what Ahmed said about how he thought he thought he did well uh, with the Mantis, and then he looked at Dr. Rifat, and then he no longer felt he did well compared to Dr. Rifat. Ahmed, I know this will make you feel good. Students used to call you the other Rifat. Literally, they used to call you the other Rifat, and I know this because I was the project coordinator at which uh, Dr. Rifat and Ahmed uh, were mentors. Thanks to Dr. Rifat, he believed in me when I myself did not believe in myself. Um, he called me one day and he was like, Malak, uh, there is this opportunity, Ahmed, I'm so sorry, I just want you to be happy. Uh, he was like, Malak, uh, there is this opportunity um, and I think you're a perfect fit. And I was like, what was it? And he said, it's a project or coordination um, position. And I was like, no way I'm going. And he was like, yes way you're going. And I was like, I'm not going to be accepted. And he was like, um, no, you're going to go uh, to the interview. And I think it's not your call. Uh, just do what you have to do. And then the next day I was accepted. I got my acceptance message. So, yeah, um, without going longer, I, hey, can I, I comment? have the honor to, of course. Um, uh, we, uh, I took... Uh, uh, one course with uh, Mr. Ahmed, we were calling him the young Rifat. We were always calling him the oh. young Rifat because he always used to be like Dr. Rifat. So yeah, Malik is right. Yes. Okay, so um, I'm going to have the honor of reading I Am You by Dr. Rifat Larair. I hope my recitation does it justice. Two steps. One, two. Look in the mirror. The horror, the horror. 
The butt of your M16 on my cheekbone, the yellow patch it left, the bullet-shaped scar expanding like a swastika, snaking across my face, the heartache flowing out of my eyes, dripping out of my nostrils, piercing my ears, flooding the place like it did to you 70 years ago or so. I am just you. I'm your past haunting your present and your future. I strive like you did. I fight like you did. I resist like you resisted. And for a moment, I take your tenacity as a model. Were you not holding the barrel of the gun between my bleeding eyes? One, two. The very same gun, the very same bullet that had killed your mom and killed your dad is being used against me by you. Mark this bullet and mark in your gun. If you sniff it, it has your and my blood. It has my present and your past. It has my present. It has your future. That's why we are twins. Same life track, same weapon, same suffering, same facial expressions drawn on the face of the killer, same everything except that in your case, the victim has evolved backward into a victimizer. I tell you, I am you. Except that, I'm not the you of now. I do not hate you. I want to help you stop hating and killing me, I tell you. The noise of your machine gun renders you deaf. The smell of the powder beats that of my blood. The sparks disfigure my facial expressions. Would you stop shooting for a moment, would you? All you have to do is close your eyes. Seeing these days, lines are hearts. Close your eyes tightly so that you can see in your mind's eye then look into the mirror one two i am you i'm your past and killing me you kill you thank you oh malek that was extraordinary thank you so much uh Khaled, what can you say Uh, I have a lot of things to say, as Ahmed said. No one can sum up Dr. Rifat. No one can describe the feeling he lived, or being uh, what is the feeling of being a student for with Dr. Rifat. But I'm very proud to be one of Dr. Rifat's students. I was, and still, a student. Dr. Rifat taught me. He taught me a lot of things. In classes, he did not only teach me poetry, drama, or Shakespeare courses, but he also taught me academic writing, creative writing, grammar, translation, although he wasn't this, the doctor for me for these things. In his classes, he also taught me history, culture, geography, sometimes. He taught me how to draw, even, if my drawing was bad. He made me love Tamim al-Parghuti, poetry and maybe most importantly he made me love and know how to create memes i never saw a doctor uses memes as a method of teaching he loved memes he loved to meme everything he made us love them too sometimes we were, we were memeing him and he would love that also i i think all of his students know that we also uh, used his uh, photos as stickers on whatsapp 
and he never he never uh, said anything about that but he was also happy he always encouraged us encouraged me encouraged other students to be creative think outside the box to to get out of our comfort zone as Noor said he would tell us to come to the class without researching about the next poem this was in the the poetry course i still remember this vividly we would read the poem and discover it in the class so he wanted us to be creative he, he didn't want us to prepare and like to search about everything then like come like and say everything like you know no he wanted us to think to be creative that's i think that is his goal he knew it was difficult for him to do so and he would be mad at us sometimes he would be mad at us very very many times because it was not easy for us to understand the whole poem without any previous researching but at the end when someone answers or someone's like know the answer of this question he was like he would be very very happy and he never gave up shaping our creativity and to those who were creative those students who were like thinking out, outside the box he would reward them with a bonus mark and only dr rifat students know how much it is hard to get a bonus mark for him i would never forget his facial expressions when he gave me one this is one of my best memories like we, he was introducing us to shakespeare's sonnet 18 shall i compare thee to a summer's day and like he 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 admired shakespeare he always was talking about shakespeare 24 hours and before this sonnet we we took a sonnet for sir uh, thomas white who was solace to hunt i think it was called um so he showed us in this sonnet about thomas white how to how he used the meter this poet how he used the meter the iambic pentameter to emphasize himself by stressing the pronoun i and i apply the same thing when he Uh, was uh, introducing us to sonnet 18 how shakespeare and stressed the thee the thee there and then he uh, stressed it at the end of the poem to indicate to the addressee that with my words with my poetry you will always be like strong and you will live forever and i raised my hand and i answered like this question and dr lifat was like wow wow excellent one bonus mark for you one bonus mark i still i still remember this vividly i still remember how he said it and i wasn't i wasn't happy because of the extra mark i was happy because i could make him feel happy i think students told me that it was impossible like the doctor would praise you this incident making dr refat proud and happy encouraged me and my friends to always come prepared to the class and try to think creatively and out of the box as he always wanted i really miss him i really do but i don't believe he's dead maybe israel killed killed dr rafa but his inspiration is still within me and within all of his students dr rafa still teaches me a lot of things he's teaching me how to always be brave how to always not to be afraid of anything he is teaching me that words are very powerful are immortal 
Dr. Rifat's voice reached and encouraged millions of people, although he was in Gaza. He's teaching me how to be kind, generous, and most importantly, how to offer help to others. Even in these times, I need help. To be a giver always, more than a taker. If well, The last thing I would like to say, the last remark, if Israel killed Rifat, by this action, it had created millions of Rifats. Each one of his friends is a Rifat. Each one of his students is a Rifat. And we will honor him by continuing his, mis- his mission, by defending Palestine and its just case. Khaled Hissi, thank you so much. That was gorgeous. And Malik, again, thank you so much for reading that poem. Um, before we go to some more friends and students, um, Rifat loves stories. And we wanted to show a clip of Rifat giving a TEDx talk in Shujaia, his neighborhood, um, and talking about how he was taught by his mother and grandmother about the power of storytelling. Let's go to that. Now, Edward Said warns of this. If we stop caring about stories, if we stop telling our stories, if we stop listening to our parents, we create space, we create vacuum for others to occupy this virtual space in our past, in our heart. Edward Said says, history is made by men and women. And I love the fact that he refers to this, the fact that this is something made by women and men, not leaders, not politicians, not the elite. Because the history, the oral history for us Palestinians belongs to you, to me, to our mom, to our dad, to our grandparents, to your parents and to your grandparents. Because the, his- the oral history should always belong to the people, should shape politics, not the other way around. History is made by men and women, just as it can also be unmade and unwritten in case we just leave it and keep silent. And this also takes me to an amazing story of a native Canadian. When the colonizers took over uh, North America and they wanted to divide the land among themselves, one of the eldest approached them. He asked, what are you doing? We own the land. We are dividing the land among ourselves. He said, if this is your land, tell me your stories. If this is indeed your, uh, your land, tell me your stories. And of course, the answer is silence, because they had no stories, and they don't own the land. And it also takes me to Africa, and I love how talking about oral history and storytelling connects indigenous native people from all over the world. Chenua Chebi teaches us something. This is a lesson for us all. If the lions do not have their own historians, the history of the hunt will always glorify the hunters, will always glorify the occupier, will always glorify the colonizer rather than the colonized the oppressed, the indigenous, the rightful uh, people of the land. And believe me, people out there are looking forward to our stories. They want our stories. They seek our stories. And this is the very amazing success story of Gaza Rights Back, which is a book. (laughs) 
Gaza Writes Back is a book of 23 stories written in English by young Palestinian uh, men and women between the age of 17 and 25. 13 of those, 13 of the 15 writers are females. 13. 13 of the 15 writers are women, are young women. And this again takes me back to the fact that my mom made me. My mom made me the man I am because of her stories. And my grandmother made me love my, my country, my homeland. That I encourage everyone um, who's listening or, or watching right now to, to go over to Rafat's uh, YouTube channel and, and watch uh, that as well as some of his lectures. I mean, the, the TED Talk uh, is extraordinary and um, I learn something new every time I watch it, which in the last few days has been many times. Um, we are going to go to one more clip uh, from Zainab Bashir from Gaza. She's a translator, storyteller, and a student of Rifat. Let's go to that clip. Everyone, I'm Zainab, and a student of Dr. Rifat Al-Ariel, may he rest in peace. One thing I learned from Dr. Rifat, may he rest in peace, is that we should never stop writing. Our words matter, our voices matter. There is never uh, wrong, right and wrong in writing and in translating. He always made us brave. He made us believe in ourselves, believe in our translations, believe in our writings. He told us to never stop translating and writing, which because it's powerful, we need it. We have to publish it, we have to share it. We have to show the word, our voices and our words. Um, that made us brave, that made us believe more that our voices matter, believe, made us believe more in our translations, in our words. And he did it, encouraged us, every one of us, whenever we go and ask him to look at our translations and our writings, he would always encourage us to publish them. He would always show us, shows us enthusiasm and gets excited and gets, he gets so proud of us. And uh, one thing I uh, would never forget that happened with him was, was last semester when we were studying Shakespeare course, uh, we were studying uh, Hamlet play, and he was explaining uh, the last line of Hamlet when Hamlet dies. He says, the rest is silence. And Dr. Rifat wrote that on the board, and he wrote, uh, tell my story, because uh, Hamlet told to husband to, told us, to tell his story, sorry. So Dr. Rifat uh, told us that uh, the best thing that someone can get after his death it's someone who tells a story and raises his voice. And that stuck in my mind and when I heard the news of his assassination, I remembered that thing he said and I said that we should all promise ourselves to amplify his voice and to tell his story and the rest must not be silenced, the rest should not be silenced, like Hamlet said. May he rest in power, we will all be his voice, and I hope we never fail him. That's Zainab Bashir from Gaza. Um, we'll uh, also play a clip from Yunus Al-Halaq, a former student of Rifat and also a writer in Gaza. Let's go to that.
Hello, this is Yunus Al-Hallaq from Gaza Strip and I'm also one of uh, the students of the English department at the Islamic University of Gaza. Uh, Dr. Rifat Al-Arair taught us some courses and Dr. Rifat, when he was teaching us, he wasn't only teaching us the course and he leave the class. No, 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 but Dr. Rifat was like a friend. He was pushing us to do something creative, to do something like to, to speak, to do, to write back and to and to get your voice out. This is what he wanted us to do always. Okay, so this is why uh, what, uh, why we believe as his students that he was the, the, the best doctor, the perfect doctor that we could ever uh, have. So all of his words, all of his advices and script in our hearts before our uh, minds. Okay. The last time I contacted with him, he was pushing me to write in the war. And this is why I, I published my uh, my story, my article on the electronic intifada. And he was always pushing us that he was always telling us that you have something to do. You have something to write. You have something uh, uh, to speak about because you live in Gaza and Gaza has a lot of stories uh, that are hidden. OK, and the world approved wants uh, to know such stories. All right. Uh, actually, we love Dr. Fatal Arair. We loved him so much because he was like dealing with our problems. Okay, he was like a friend. So that's why we cried when we uh, saw the video that we that he was uh, cried uh, was crying in uh, the last video he uh, picked in his sister's house. So may Allah bless his soul. Uh, that's uh, Yunus uh, Al-Halaq, a student of Rifat's, and both Yunus and Zainab, the, the video before, uh, you could hear the Israeli uh, war plane in the background, um, and then uh, if you listened really closely, you could also hear the drones in the background of Yunus's video. Um, just uh, unbearable, and um, we're going to uh, do... Uh, we have a voice message from Khalil Abu Shamala, um, and then we'll bring uh, some of our guests back on. Let's go to that. I was choked when I saw that Rifat has been killed by the Israel bombing last week. Rifat was one of the most distinguished teachers at the English department at the Islamic University. And he was one of the most prominent academics in Gaza who was involved in the political issues and the daily life of his society. Rifat was the founder of We Are Not Numbers, which, which is very meaningful, which conveys a, a message to the, uh, to the world everywhere that Palestinians in Gaza are not numbers in statistics. They represent stories, ambitions, and dreams, and they should live like the other people all over the world. I believe that we lost Rifat, and we lost one of the very distinguished, respectful, and and the prominence figure in Gaza. That's a voice message from Khalil Abu Shimala. Khalil is a, a, a veteran human rights uh, activist and um, uh, and a contributor to the Electronic Intifada. And um, we really appreciate him 
and the work that he does. Um, uh, Khaled, I wanted to bring you back on. Um, you have two messages that you wanted to uh, bring from from two of Rifat's students. Yes. Khaled Al Karshali is one of Dr. Rifat's students. He is saying he couldn't uh, record any video or come to the this live session because he doesn't have an internet connection. He barely sent the message and until now I can't communicate him. He's saying, I took with Dr. Rifa two courses, poetry and Shakespeare. But that is not all what I have learned from him. Dr. Rifat was more than a teacher for me. Despite the great knowledge that I took from him, he taught me that my language and words can be used in many other ways. I was never an early bird at university. I have never attended any lecture of any course that was scheduled at 8 morning. Yes, he's right. I know that. But after attending one lecture for Dr. Rifat, I made sure to not miss any lecture of his, although it was also at 8 morning. I would even make sure to come to the lectures very early, to sit close to him and to hear him clearly. He taught my friends, Mahmoud and Khaled, creative writing at We Are Not Numbers. I tried to be part of it just to be able to learn from him. But, or, but unfortunately, before even giving us any lecture, he was killed by the Israeli occupation. He was my role model in defending the Palestinian cause. I remember when I looked at his Facebook account and saw that he had several interviews with several news agencies. I was impressed that my doctor is not only an educator, but he's also a fighter. He fought for Palestine and wrote many stories and books of Palestine. I have always wanted to be like him, to be a writer, a poet, a journalist, and to defend my case. He was and is my inspiration. Dear Dr. Rafat, you are not dead. You are still alive in the heart of every student you taught. I will never forget you or your influence on me. I promise that I will continue learning writing and defending Palestine till I see you again, inshallah, in heaven. The second message is from uh, Alia Amadi. She is, or she, she is one of Dr. Rifat's best students. Uh, she's 20 years old. She is a senior student, was a senior student. She sent me this message. I have known Dr. Rifat for only two years. I was then a super bashful sophomore and super scared for composing or writing simply because, because I was aware that 18 or 19 years of life isn't that much experience. I was just a beginner, but CUSP, which is a culture for sustainable and inclusive peace, a program held in the IUG, was an aperture to the worlds I discovered in myself, my passions too. There I have known Dr. Rifat a little bit closely. He was so generous, so passionate, and so phenomenal. The 19th of May, 2022, was one of the happiest days in my life. Dr. Rifat told us stories about his younger self, about his old friends. He always treated us like friends. We read from Gaza Writes Back, played pun intended, told jokes. He brought us delicious food and fruits. I was finally feeling home, and I showed him a literary piece I translated. 
My soul soared to the highest high. Once he said that I should be proud of myself for it. I owe it all to him. And although our acquaintance lasted for only two years, my entire university experience, my entire educational journey was rewarding because of him. He bequeathed a very fine literary legacy for minds to feast, and that shall be my companion till my death. I vowed to pass it on, to be one of the voices to tell his story, to make it a tale that brings hope for generations to come until Israel is no more and beyond. Khaled, thank you so much. And and please um, thank thank those those two students on our behalf um, for, for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Uh Yusuf, um you you also wanted to to say a few words. Yes, so um I'm working on an article and I asked Rifat to send me a quote and he sent me a quote on uh, Sunday. Uh, I asked him to describe the amount of destruction he has seen after a humanitarian pause um, took a place in Gaza and he was able to uh, walk the streets of uh, Western um, um, Gaza City. And he said, I strolled through the western areas of Gaza City and witnessed a level of destruction reminiscent of World War II. The extent of wanton devastation is beyond words. It feels as though tanks played a deliberate and methodical game of destruction, targeting homes, buildings, businesses, infrastructure, schools, mosques, trees, power lines, and poles. The way Israel is ravaging Gaza suggests repercussions that will shape life for generations uh, to come. Uh, these were uh, Rifat's words. When is, uh, when is that article coming out? Hopefully this week. Okay. All right. We'll be sure to, to disseminate that far and wide. Thank you, Yusuf. Um, John, I, I I know that you um, know Shujaia. You've um, you've been, you know, able to to give us a sense of the the powerful and ferocious resistance, especially coming from Shujaia. Rifrat was a son of Shujaia, as many have said on this on this program. Can you give us a sense of of um, how Shujaia also plays a part in in the story of Rifat and 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 why it's such a significant place. Yeah, I'm just I'm listening to this uh, incredible program. It's um, I'm so honored to be a part of it, and I I do have a, a little nagging feeling that uh, Rifat would would be saying, "Tell us about the resistance news about what's happening." Um, so I just want to just say a little bit. Um, based on Rufat's words, um, what he said about Shujaia, which means brave and courageous. And um, he said, Shujaia is adjacent to the eastern edge of Gaza, and this means that there's usually a lot of friction. There's a lot of Israeli incursions and a lot of resistance. And Shujaia, because of the name, the symbolic name, the iconic name, we grew up with this pride 
with his pride because we are from Shajaia. When a war starts, Israel shells Shajaia heavily, and this is what they did in 2014. Thousands of shells were dropped on houses in Shajaia, and people were trying to hide. And I remember people from outside Palestine saying, why didn't you evacuate? Where? Where should we go? Gaza is tiny. And sometimes I take the time to explain to people what a house means. Where I live, my house in Shijaiya actually was my grandparents' house. And my grandfather had four boys. One was killed in prison, and then the land was divided among the three that remained. There is a first floor and a second floor, and then we build another floor. And then my two younger brothers, they got married, and they built on top of it, and so on. So when we talk about a house, we talk about 70 people living in this structure. You have all your money, all your papers, all your certificates, all your memories, all your photo albums, even your cradle. And this is the cradle where you were born. It keeps moving from one person to another. And then it's all gone in just one click of a button. Rifat's whole life in Shajaiya was defined by resistance. Um, Shajaiya was where um, the first intifada, before it began, um, the spark was lit in Shajaiya when revolutionaries broke out of prison uh, in 1987 and stayed in Shajaiya um, and fought the Israelis. Um, a few weeks later, in Jabalia, the first intifada would begin and people all over the world had Palestine on their tongues um, because of the spark that Shajaiya lit. Um, and that's the same in 2014, the 2014 war. Shajaiya was famous for its resistance, its fierce resistance um, in that war as well. Um, and in one of Rafat's um, last tweets, he said, he wrote, I wish I were a freedom fighter, so I would die fighting back against these genocidal maniacs invading my neighborhood. And just wanted to say to Rafat uh, that you were and you are. Thank you, John. Nora, may I uh, just uh, add yes. to that beautiful, uh, uh, beautiful uh, reading from John that, uh, of course, we all know how proud Rifat was of Shujaia and being from Shujaia. And I have to tell you that he called Chicago the Shujaia of America. <laughs> that was the highest praise he could give us. <laughs> and I don't know if some of our friends are going to be offended by this, but uh, he thought New York was the Haye uh, Zaytun of America. <laughs> Is there is a Jabalia in the United States? <laughs> well, he explained. He explained to me. Uh, he explained to me. Of course, I, I'd only had the pleasure of visiting Gaza once, but he explained to me the uh, the, the fierce rivalry between Shujaia and Haye uh, Zaytun. And so, well, what can I say? Shujaia is the Chicago of America. There's nothing left to say about that. Oh, love that. Um, I think uh, I think we should we should play some of the clips that uh, our wonderful Tamara has put together of 
um, some of the highlights of uh, the, the many times we had them on four times during this live stream, day three, day seven, day 20 and day 55, which was just, just over a week ago. Um, so uh, Tamara, let's, let's go to that clip. Refat, I think, sorry, I, I just wanted to say, I think one of the hardest things to come to grips with is that the people who always scream the loudest about the Holocaust and say never again, never again, and we have to learn the lessons of history, particularly American and European leaders, are the ones who are most actively supporting this Holocaust in Gaza, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a genocide in Gaza. They're sending airplanes full of bombs to drop on Palestinian babies. And uh, this is the thing that has, has for me broken, broken any sense, I, any belief I have in all the supposed principles we were taught to uh, revere human rights, international law, democracy, the people who come to lecture us about human rights and democracy and international law are the ones who are doing this to you, to your family, to 2.3 million people in Gaza. They're the ones who are doing this, the ones who build museums to the Holocaust and say, we need to take Palestinians and Arabs to these Holocaust museums to uh, educate these savages and barbarians, jungle people, as Joseph Burrell, the uh, EU foreign policy chief called them. They're the ones, the White House spokesperson, Karine Jean-Pierre said that calls for a ceasefire for Gaza are repugnant. What kind of world do we live in where calling for a ceasefire is repugnant? These people worship war, they worship death. I'm 51 years old and I wake up every day as angry and as enraged and as outraged as I, as I have been my whole life at what they're doing to us. But you know, Rifat, they want us to be nice victims. Yeah. They want us to be polite. They, they, they don't like it when we're angry. I get messages saying, oh, you know, you should present yourselves better. You won't win support. Uh, if, if you're angry. What support did we win for all these years? All these years of advocacy, of meetings, of lectures, of speeches, of meeting with politicians. Not one European politician objected to cutting food and water and electricity from children. Not one. I'm saying not one leader. Yes, there were a few politicians, a few members of parliament here or there, but not one leader. Not one Arab country, not one, let's let aside the Europeans, not one Arab country of those regimes run by traitors withdrew their ambassadors from Israel or closed their embassies with Israel. What is this? What is this hell we're living in? People come to us for analysis. I don't know how to analyze this. I don't know what to say to people, but we, we are. Our hearts are, are, are in pain, our hearts are broken when we see this world 
that allows the scenery that we're seeing in Gaza today. Massacre after massacre after massacre of whole families, of 583 children as of this morning. By the time we finish this live stream, the number will have gone up. And people digging in rubble in their bare hands. And this is a world that lectures us about human rights and democracy. I don't know what to say to you, Rifat. I don't know, as, as you have said, as Khalil said, he doesn't know how to face his children. I don't know how to face you and to face people in Gaza. And I don't know how to say to you that I'm sorry we failed. I think, thank you, Ali. I, I think we didn't fail. We did not. And that's when it, when, when it comes to all comes to end. No, we didn't. We didn't submit to their barbarity. We didn't submit to their brutality. And even when Gaza, this attack came when Gaza was in its weakest time possible. Look at what they did the, to the most invincible army in the area, the fourth strongest army in the world. The humiliation. The humiliation. But it's not only about that. This is not where we get our pride. We get our pride from staying principled at a time when everybody is not. I saw a friend, uh, you know, trashing somebody saying, like he was posting some anti-Semitic anti uh stuff on uh, on twitter replying you know with anti-semitic things and he was like don't do this we're not we're not them and i was i was very proud it, it is at this time that people can be their metal can be tested who they are their character those people failed miserably we didn't they failed because when it came to the ukrainians blonde hair blue eyes everybody was sending money Everybody was posting, even the Israelis were posting pictures how to make uh, 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 cocktail molotovs. How little children are carrying guns and fighting the Russian barbarians. Politicians sending money, billions of dollars, competing to send billions of dollars to Ukraine. But when it came to people with darker skin, they failed and they failed miserably. And I don't want to say I don't know how they sleep because they don't have a conscience. There is this anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian, anti-Muslim sentiment that is deeply rooted and normalized in, in the media, in, uh, in, among politicians. It's, it's, it's always been there, but it has just been exposed. And I think there has to be this day, this week, has to be a time of you know, reconsideration. Muslims, Arabs pro-Palestinians, free people around the world. There has to be something that comes out of this, something stronger than before, more powerful, to learn the lesson that those people are in, like they, they, they are unreliable. They cannot, because some of those people, even Bernie Sanders, and I don't want to name names because, but they were horrible. I don't want name to name the names. Them. Now is the time. The people, exactly, people in the in the Congress and everybody saw this. Israel was heading towards a genocide. And you post 10 tweets 
explaining why what happened from the Palestinians is wrong, for God's sakes. That was from day seven, two months ago. Um, yeah, it, it's it's surreal um, how how he reassured us in those moments of just deep brokenness. Um, I, I want to show also the last clip just from a week and a half ago from day 55 and then and then we'll we'll come back to his students. So let's go to that. Well, I don't have the words to express how happy and relieved we are right now to have our good friend Rifat Alarir with us live from the Gaza Strip, uh, looking handsome and healthy. Um, and uh, the smile is something that we've been waiting weeks and weeks and weeks to see again. So uh, Rifat, our good friend and, and our pretty much de facto editor in the Gaza Strip, um, Thank you so much for being with us today. Alhamdulillah, to you and your family. And I, I don't know if Roger Waters is watching today, but I, I don't want him to be offended by this, but having you on, this is bigger than Roger Waters. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll think of a career shift. Maybe I, I, I sing something, but you need to, you know, like clearly you know, close your ears. <laughs> we'll take it. Uh, Rifat, where do we even start? Um, how how are you? How are your kids? How are your uh, how's your wife? How's your family right now? Uh, we are fine, uh, struggling like uh, everybody else in in Gaza, especially in the Gaza city and uh, the the north, with uh, barely any food, um, water resources everything running out even the aid that made its uh, its way into gaza is not enough for uh, my extended family perhaps uh, to 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 eat in, in in a week and most of it i took a footage of some of the trucks by the way they're not trucks they're probably half trucks or a quarter mm. of of a truck and mostly uh, water bottles uh, probably every 10 what we need is electricity, fuel, cooking gas, and uh, a flour. These are the four priorities. Yeah. Uh, and we barely had any, 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 any of these. Uh, and many people will not be getting any of this or, because there are too many people. The Gaza municipality estimates that there are about 800,000 uh, Palestinians in Gaza city. And in in the north, in in Jabalia, Beit Lahia, uh, and Beit uh, Beit Hanu, that's too many people with uh, uh, too uh, few uh, resources. Or family-wise, I haven't seen my kids since the truce started. Uh, they moved to another place, and I'm spending most of the time time running uh, uh, to places uh, with internet connection, so I can uh, be online. Uh, but they are they are good. Uh, yesterday, only yesterday, we made it to our place where we live in Tel Hawa, and I posted a video. It's complete and utter destruction. Uh, I'm not sure how this is going uh, to to end, 
but with what we have now, it's complete and utter destruction. Again, I keep citing the World War II uh, as a reference. The destruction we see in pictures is happening right in front of our eyes. And that was um, that was November thirtieth, um, and we we couldn't reconnect because the electricity had gone out, um, and that was just a few days um, before he was assassinated. Um, we have one more short clip. Uh, something that I think just you know I was talking about this with John yesterday too. Like I I um I'm so honored to have been a part of these live streams um, with Rafat and with all of our guests. Um, and especially the the one, the first one that we did on, on day three of the bombing um, when Rafat was talking about um, the toughest thing that he had in his possession was an expo marker. And to be, to be a, a part of that, um, you know that that's now th that image and that symbolism has made its way all over the world people are bringing packages of expo markers to vigils i've seen and and there are there's artwork made of him now holding a, an expo marker um and so we wanted to just play play a little bit from that from that day 3 of our live stream um and just just to be honored to have known him and to be known by him. Um, and then and then we'll come back for our students. Uh, we know that it's very bleak, it's very dark. Uh, there's no way out. Uh, if, if there's no water, there is no uh, way out of Gaza. What, what could we do, like drown? Like commit mass suicide? Is this what Israel wants? And we're not going to do that. And I was telling some somebody, some friend the other day that I'm an academic. I probably the toughest thing I have at, at home is an expo marker. But if the Israelis invade, if the target has charged at us, opened door to door to massacre us, I'm going to use that marker, throw it at the Israeli soldiers, even if that is the last thing that I would be able to do. And this is the feeling of everybody. We are helpless. We have nothing to lose. Um, Ahmed, uh, I know that, that you wanted to say something about Shajaya yourself. Um, go ahead. Um. Um. Before that, I I just remembered some someone. I don't want to mention his name, just because Rafat so many times asked me not to mention his, not not to harass him. He said he tweeted that Rafat uh, became sour, and that um, he was angry because of all the trauma he's been subjected to. And I don't know what's less um, uh, uh, 
false and less uh, dishonest than, than this comment. If you if you had the privilege to uh, be taught by Dr. Rifat, you'd have um, understood. Uh, but even if you weren't a student of his, just listening to all of these um, interviews and lectures uh, on his YouTube channel, which I uh, urge everyone to follow and like watch his lectures. And if you if you read the poem that Malak recited earlier, you'd realize that he wasn't sour. We he he told us that we have every right to be angry personally because everything here is, is also personal. We all lost so many uh, people and so many things, but he wasn't just angry. He wasn't just sour. That's very dishonest. And, um, and, and we always had the hope and also the, um, the, the morality, the, the ethics of Rifat. He always scolded me personally and many of us for saying the wrong things, even when we had the right, even when we were angry. Uh, he always taught us to be smart, to be vocal, to be unapologetic, but always true and always uh, for the good reasons and for the righteous reasons. Um, and that's uh, what we always learned and we'll continue learn, learning from him. Um, um, about Shija'iyya, I also um, come from Shija'iyya, um, but he always uh, bullied me for being born in a Rimal, not in Shija'iyya. Um, and he was always, always, always um, angry at people uh, for not mentioning Shija'iyya. The last uh, message I received from him uh, Wednesday morning um, was him telling me that uh, that he feels helpless um, because of what's happening in Shijaiya and that he's proud of our fighters, of our um, neighbors who are fighting the tanks in Shijaiya, but he feels so helpless because of all the destruction and everything that's happening and because of how nobody talks about Shijaiya and how it's not even mentioned. And even when it's mentioned, it's East Gaza, not Shijaiya, um, because, uh, yes, he's a proud uh, son of Shijaiya and uh, one of his pushes is to keep Shijaiya in people's minds and we have every right to be proud like he was in um, like he is in our fighters who fight in Shijaiya but also we need to remember Shijaiya and talk about Shijaiya and all the destruction that's been happening in Shijaiya and all the other um, neighborhoods of, uh, of Gaza. Thank Thank you so much. Ahmed, I hope that you will write about Shuja'iya. I, I hope that you will write about Shuja'iya. I, I just want to share what, one thing because the, those watching those clips again, I know it's it's emotional for everyone. There was one show uh, we had. Uh, this was during the one of the blackouts, the communications blackouts in Gaza, when we couldn't reach Rifat, we'd wanted to have him on. We wanted to have him as many times as we could, but we couldn't reach him. And this was day 45 of the war, of the genocide. And uh, we had Yusuf on, uh, and we wanted to have Yusuf and Rifat together, but we couldn't. So 
we uh, instead we we had a discussion about Rifat. Uh, we talked about his work and his impact. We talked about how much how important Rifat was for so many reasons, but especially to us at the Electronic Intifada, because uh, many, I would say, most of the writers uh, who write for us from Gaza today and about Gaza today were trained by Rifat and nurtured and encouraged by Rifat. And so the Electronic Intifada as a publication would not be what it is without Rifat's effort. And so we, I wanted people to know who he was. He'd already been on the live stream, but Rifat is not somebody who brags. He's not somebody who, who says, I did this and I did that. He's a very humble person and so it was important for us to acknowledge his presence in that show and afterwards some days afterwards he sent me a message he said i downloaded the episode with ahmed we had ahmed um, uh, masoud as well from london uh, but rifat wrote i downloaded the episode with ahmed and yusuf and john on youtube watched it last night at home really thanks for the nice words they mean the world to me especially coming from an arch enemy like yusuf and uh so <laughs> i <laughs> th those of you who know uh those of you and then when he got cut off uh, on that final appearance when we couldn't reconnect with him and sadly that was the last time he sent me a message. He said that he was mad that he got uh, cut off because he said, I wanted to rebut all of Yusuf's lies. So uh, <laughs> those of you who know uh, Rifat and Yusuf will know that uh, that was an act that uh, Rifat carried on for years, that Yusuf was his uh, enemy. But uh, from the times I spent with you both, I know Yusuf, how much uh, Rifat loved you dearly. And uh, that was his way of expressing it. Uh, yes. And, um, you know, the thing that uh, makes me um, happy is that Rifat was able to watch uh, what I said about him when he was still physically with us. And I think it's important that, uh, and I'm sure that there are also many other people who conveyed uh, to Rifat how much um, they appreciated him and they loved his work and dedication uh, to us as students, but also to, to Palestine. Um, this is, you know, the least we can do and tell Rifat. Uh, and uh, I will, uh, you know, cherish uh, this uh, title in the most ironic way, Rifat's uh, arch enemy <laughs> as uh, he called me and accused me of trying to outrefat him or outsmart him um, yeah, but you know refat is many things to me but uh, you know the most important thing is that uh, I am his student yeah Malik and Noor did you want to have uh, some time for for any final thoughts on Rifat and what he meant to you? Yeah, sure. I, I always remember him uh, with one tiny 
thing he used to do, especially with me, because I hate it when people mispronounce uh, my name. I hate it when people say Malak, and he would always, always call me Malak. And then when I started calling him Dr. Rafat instead of Rifat, <laughs> he started calling me Saadi. And I was like, I beg you, go back to Malak. I'm happy with Malak. Please go back to Malak. Um, my mom, uh, I managed to talk to my mom today after three days of trying. And I was so blessed to talk to her. And the first thing I swear, the first thing she said, Malak Habibti, I hope you're doing good because I only knew about Dr. Ifat yesterday and I, and I couldn't stop thinking about you. I know how he meant to you, how much he meant to you. And it just breaks my heart because I wanted, I wanted to make sure my mom's doing okay. And she, she turned out to be so worried about me because, because we, list, we lost someone so dear. I don't know what to say. It's just how life is. I may his soul rest in power. Thank you. Noor and Khaled. Khaled, uh, let's start with you. Uh, just remembered something funny that happened with us. Uh, while we were taking uh, the poetry course with Dr. Defy. Uh, like he was, we were about to finish Shakespeare, the period of Shakespeare. We were moving to the other period. So the students were comparing like who is, maybe Shakespeare is not the better poet. And like he was, he was, uh, he was respecting Shakespeare and loving Shakespeare. So he said, like, everyone has, like, his, his thought. But the most, uh, one thing you have to know about Dr. Rifat is that he loved uh, watching football. And he always, like, was that uh, who, uh, who loved Barcelona. I don't know how to say it in English. He loved Messi very much. Like, he, he thought, like, Messi is the ideal football player. He was always fighting for him. Maybe Mr. Uh, Mr. Ahmed Nihad knows that. So uh, some students stood up and said, "Like, yeah, there are people that saying that there are no, there are no God." So he, Dr. Rifat, looked at him and said, "Yeah, there are some people who are saying Ronaldo is better than Messi." And like we all st started laughing because like we knew he, he always loved uh, football, loved Messi. Um. We're going to play one final clip, um, but but before we, we do, uh, Asa, I know that we've just been flooded with um, so much love for all of our guests here today, um, for the, the just immense amount of, of love for Rifat and um, how that love was received by him. Um, let's, let's go to a few of the, the comments that we've received. Yeah, well, it would be absolutely impossible to read out all of the support that we've had on the live stream today. Um, I wanted to read um, out a couple of comments from our friend Roger Waters said, thank you all for your stories. He was listening today. Um, we also had... 
Katie Halper as well, dropping into the live chat saying it's incredible how Rafat's sense of humor still brings laughter and smiles during this sad time. Um, our friend Jennifer Bing as well said that, um, agreeing with Yusuf saying, Rafat will live on in our hearts and will motivate our activism and stories until Palestine is free. Um, Katie White's in Hastings in the UK. Um, and she, I know Katie, she's an activist in Palestine Solidarity Campaign, giving support to Shaima early on in the stream, saying thank you for sharing your memories. He would be so proud. And um, we just, we were absolutely inundated with comments today in support of Dr. Rifrat. Um, it was a very emotional stream. People are also sending in emojis uh, of the pen and the kite. And we also had a lot of people saying they were learning about Dr. Rifat for the first time now. Um, and that, that learning about him and his stories and the, the work that he inspired would motivate them further so thank you everybody who wrote in indeed can I, thank yeah you. can i just add uh, you know the that um, we're so grateful to all of Rifat's friends and students who who shared their stories and their reflections today and we're conscious that uh, you are but a as as immense and awesome as you are you're just a small group of those who Rifat trained and taught and influenced for the better. And so we send our love to all of Rifat's students and all of his friends who couldn't uh, join us today or who we couldn't reach, especially those in Gaza. Um, and just to say that uh, if we look at the front page of the Electronic Intifada on any given day uh, that uh, there are going to be stories on the front page from Rifat's students and that's going to continue. Rifat was, uh, people have called him the storyteller of Gaza. I've seen him uh, also called the man who taught Gaza to speak English. Uh, there are many uh, great titles people are giving Rifat. Uh, we really owe him for he helped uh, open Gaza to me. I feel like I have so many friends in Gaza and so many friends from Gaza because of Rifat. And um, so I just want to say to all of his students, uh, past, present, and future, because we will continue to learn from Rifat, thank you, and please do keep writing. Uh, we feel like we are now... Uh, part of a bigger family, and Rifat connects us all. And we, we at the Electronic Intifada are so grateful for you, and we will continue to be honored to be your platform. Absolutely. It is a great and deep honor. Um, thank you, Ali. Um, and uh, let's let's close out by this, this last clip that we have prepared of Rifat uh, giving a lecture.
Now, how many of you, like, have you ever been to Jerusalem? Raise your hand if you've, been ever, if you've ever been to Jerusalem. Like, we have 60 students here. We have one, two, probably three. That's, uh, that's very few of you. I've never been to Jerusalem. We're Palestinians. We're living in Gaza. We can't go to Jerusalem because of the Israeli occupation. But we love Jerusalem, right? We love Jerusalem because of what it means to us. We've never been there. But believe me, when you go there, you will feel that you've been there hundreds of times because you read about Jerusalem in literature, in story. It doesn't, of course, it doesn't mean that halas, we, we, we should take Jerusalem, the Jerusalem in the poem or in the, in, the, in the story and that's it. No. But in, in literature, Jerusalem is back to us, comes back to us. It's true that there is suffering, there is pain, there is occupation. And that's why Tamim al-Barghuti as a Palestinian poet, as a young Palestinian poet, I think is, is doing a great service to the Palestinian cause and the Palestinian struggle. When you read Tamim or you listen to him reciting his poem, Filqut or other poems, he brings you a lot, he takes you to Jerusalem. You live Jerusalem. He takes you back to it. You liberate it for just a little bit of time. And if there is hope, if you can imagine a free Palestine, free Jerusalem probably, you will work towards that. And the same thing applies to occupied Palestine. We've never been to other parts of Palestine because of the Israeli occupation, but we've been told so many times by, by our parents and grandparents, especially our mothers, They've been telling us stories about Palestine and Yemeni blood in the past, the good old days, how uh, Palestine was, you know, all uh, nice and beautiful, unoccupied, unraped. And therefore, I say, in, uh, uh, in, in this case, how uh, our homeland turns into a story. In reality, we can't have it. We don't have it. But it can turn into poems, into poetry, into literature, into stories. So our homeland turns into a story. We love our homeland because of the story. We love our homeland because of the story. And we love the story because it's about our homeland. And this connection is significant. Israel wants to sever this relationship, for example, between Palestinians and land, Palestinians and Jerusalem and other places and cities. And literature attaches us back, connects us strongly to Palestine. So in, in my imagination, in my, in my, my thinking actually, uh, this is a very significant uh, uh, thing that literature uh, uh, contributes to. Creating realities, creating realities, making the impossible sound, sound possible. We love you, Rifat. Um, just want to say thank you again to all of our friends, colleagues, contributors, Yusuf, Ahmed, Noor, Malik, uh, Khaled, and, and everyone who was here um, beforehand. Thank you all so much. Um, and um, again, I just wanted to promote uh, all of the features that we have on the Electronic Intifada right now, as Ali said, many of them, uh, if not all of them right now on the features page are uh, from people that Rifat has mentored and taught. And um, it's, it's really powerful. And so we encourage you all to go to electronicintifada.net, sign up, get the updates. You can get uh, the emails uh, in your inbox. Um, 
And also, uh, you know, go to our YouTube page, like and subscribe and do all of that. Um, you can uh, sign up to get alerts for the next um, live stream. And speaking of which, we are going to have another live stream on Thursday. Um, so please stay tuned for that. On behalf of me and Ali and John and Asa, we want to thank Tamara and Nassar behind the scenes, who has just been working um, so beautifully to put all of this together, all of these media clips and, and being in touch with all of our contributors. Um, thank you, Tamara. I, you're extraordinary. Um, and uh, thank you, everyone, so much. <laughs>